0: Well, good morning, church. What an interesting place we're going to go today. All because one of our local team members, Al May, sent me an email and he said, I've never heard the story of Judas. And I'm thinking, all right then, we'll do the story of Judas. We don't normally talk much about him. It requires us to really go some uncomfortable places. But I think story time is a good time to go in uncomfortable places. As long as you're seated comfortably, we'll begin we kind of need a comfortable space because the story is uncomfortable the story of judas iscariot has caused a lot of problems among uh, theologians and churches in fact the story of judas iscariot has actually kept people away from jesus and from god And i'll explain how and why but if we know how to deal with the story we can diffuse those issues and use it to bring people to jesus but we have to know what's going on the bare bones of the story are very well known while there are some minor differences in the gospels when it comes to listing the names of the apostles all of them list judas as one of the original 12. and sometime during the three plus years he spent with jesus something turned inside of him and eventually He betrayed Jesus famously with a kiss. Later, full of remorse, he killed himself. End of story. Except it really isn't. Whole libraries, this is not hyperbole, whole libraries have been written about Judas. I think somewhat because of the problems theologically that he causes, and we'll talk about those. But also because we have a bare bones story. And what do people do with a bare bones story? They have to rush in to fill the gaps. It's rather like the first news reports you get, whether it's a shooting or a flood or any other disaster, we we should know by now they're completely wrong, but we still jump on them and you'll see them all over social media. And then whenever we don't know, we have to fill in the gaps, we rush in. I don't know how many books I have seen in my life about the childhood of Jesus that was revealed to this person by some spirit or they found some ancient manuscript or claim to. Why? Because we don't know. We, we see him here. We see him when he's a couple years old. We see him when he's 12 and we see him when he's 30 and people rush in to fill in the gaps. But with Judas, they rush in to fill the gaps too because there are... There are problems that arise from here some have claimed it's just impossible therefore no man named Judas existed there are a couple of writers out there that have tried to make this claim saying we only invented not us but a long time ago early Christians invented the story of Judas so that Christians would hate the Jews well that ignores the fact that most every Christian was a Jew and that Jesus was a Jew and his Apostles were Jews it makes no sense at all But if people want a conspiracy theory or they want to find a reason to hate or discard, they'll find one. Doesn't need to be factual. Well, Judas was a real person. In a real place, at a real time. And that's what you've got to do with stories. You've got to move it where they were. The big problems when you drag stories into where we are. Right now in, in America... Well, not just America. It's happening in Canada. It's happening all over English-speaking countries where they are dethroning their heroes because their heroes didn't act back then the way we want heroes to act today. That's called chronological arrogance. The idea that they should have known about slavery and they should have known about women's rights and they should have known. And you can argue that all you want to, but if they had known it, they would have had zero power. They'd been the only one. You know, we, we learn, we grow, but we got to go back to where they were to understand their story. When it comes to this person and this story, there are a lot of issues at play. For one, what does is Iscariot mean? Believe it or not, there are books written about this. And there are fights about this. I found 11 different books pushing what Iscariot meant but it really comes down to two. Uh, I'm just going to say that, and you theologians who who want to write me, write me. It's fine. Um, I I have a delete button. You know, I don't fight people. I just don't. Uh, But there are two. One, uh, that he was a man from Kerioth. And that sounds unlikely to us, but it's certainly possible. But there's another one, which I believe holds the key. And that is, it is an early Aramaic corruption of the word sicarius, meaning a dagger. Makes a lot of sense to me. Some of Jesus' apostles were known as zealots. Who are the zealots? The zealots were a political and guerrilla action, you might even call them terrorist, group that as against Roman law would carry weapons concealed. That was completely against Roman law. So they were taking a tremendous risk. This was not a little thing. And they carried long knives, sicari. We would even call them short swords. What did they do? They would strike out of nowhere. And they would strike down a Roman soldier. They'd strike down a collaborator, including people like tax collectors that worked for the Romans. I often wonder when I see Matthew being called to be an apostle, how, how much sleep he got the first week. Because already, here's James and John, uh, they're zealots. And here's Judas, the dagger guy. Enjoy your time. Jesus brought them all together, said, get along. That's interesting, isn't it? And especially in a time where we divide over politics and everything else. Jesus gathered them all together, and I think they did that on purpose. Well, we know that some of the apostles, even years later, were still carrying weapons, because when Jesus turns to them at one point for them to protect themselves, not for, to protect him, he had something he needed to do that included dying. He turned to them and he said, "I've told you before not to buy anything and not take anything when you go out, but you might want to sell something and buy a sword and." You know, Peter immediately goes, I got to. And Jesus goes, that, that's, that's enough. And whenever Peter did use it later, he didn't say, what are you doing with the sword? Are you insane? He said, put the sword back in its place. In other words, there was still a place for the sword. And I, I know that gives some of my brethren who are pacifist all kinds of heartburn, but it, that's the plain writing there. That they did not give up that carrying of weapons although I'm very certain they weren't stabbing anybody at this point. It was, again, against Roman law. And today, there are a group of people who carry weapons to break laws that are called, to this day, sicari, And they work with the Narfic traffickers in Mexico, the cartels. Their hitmen and bodyguard men are called sicari, the killers, the knife men. And there have even been a couple of movies that, that made a decent dent in the box office several years ago. Sicario. And it all comes from the same root as Iscariot. This is important. This is important. So what went wrong with Judas? Well, early on, when Jesus sent out the, uh, the apostles, Judas was actively engaged. He went out with the twelve, we are told. Jesus gave them power over unclean spirits. He commissioned them to preach and to heal. And later in the book of John, we see that Jesus did sense some dis-ease or disappointment among his apostles after several of the disciples had left. And you find that. We often don't talk about that. But in the gospels, you find several instances where Jesus says something and a lot of people quit following him right there that Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me too? And that's where Peter, it's always Peter who speaks first. I like Peter. There might be some identification there. I'm not really sure. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then Jesus says something right after that passage. Look for it in your small groups this week. That indicates he knows Peter is not speaking for all of the 12. There are those that are starting to think we might need to look elsewhere. By the way, Jesus did not pick Judas so that Judas could betray him. We're going to talk more about this in the next few minutes. I I can remember on the streets of Ayrshire once in southwest Scotland, somebody asked me what I was doing in Ayrshire. And I said that we were setting up a church in a little place in Irvine, And uh, he said, well, what kind of church? And I started talking to him. And he goes, well, I, no, I don't. I invited him. He goes, no, I have no interest in, in that. And I said, why? And, he, and he, he started off by saying, well, think of Judas. He had no choice, did he? If he has no choice and he's got to do what he did so that Jesus can save the world, how fair is that to, to Judas? Story doesn't make sense. And he walked on. And I was thinking, I, well, there's Christus Rex, there's substitutionary atonement, there's, you know, what, what are you going to say? But in a nation riddled with the history of Calvinism, that's an arg- argument you would hear very often. You will still hear people say today that Judas was chosen because God knew he was going to go bad. But Jesus says in John and in Matthew 19, 28, Whenever, you know, you stay faithful and all 12 of you will reign in heaven. At that time, evidently, Jesus still believed in Judas. Now, understand this. Those of you that have just started hiccuping. Was Jesus the son of God? Yes. Was he deity? Absolutely. 100% God? Yes. 100% human? Yes. Because God can do that. But Jesus very plainly did not know everything every step of the way. God withheld information from him, as I've brought up before as an illustration. Do you really want a three-year-old to know their God? Unwise. Mary saying, Eat your soup, and Jesus goes, or do you really do you really want do you want Mary trying to give him a bath? He keeps hopping up on top of the water. You don't want that you don't want a teenager to think they're God. Jesus, in fact, early on says he had no idea when God was going to come back. After the resurrection, he indicates he does. He was parceled out information as he needed to have it to do his work. And so early on, Jesus wasn't looking for Judas to turn, but somewhere in there, Jesus did. And so people have rejected this, saying, if Judas hadn't betrayed him, I mean, Judas is a hero. If he hadn't betrayed him, then Jesus wouldn't have died, and the whole Christianity thing would have collapsed. Don't know if you've heard that or not. I can look about the room and ask, but I'm looking up here, and I, I don't know if you have at home. Well, what do we do? Is Christianity unfair? Is it nonsensical? If Jesus had to die and Judas had to betray him, well, then it wouldn't have been Judas' fault. And God would be unfair. Except, no. The Hebrew Scriptures absolutely did say the Messiah would suffer and die, but did not specifically say he would be betrayed. Now, that's a surprise to about 99% of Christians because they just assume people would turn against him. That's in there. That his friends would become enemies. That's in there. But the action of betrayal is not mentioned in Isaiah or in Psalms. Where we generally go to to get our, um, our prophecies about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 52, 53 and Psalm 22. That's where we generally go. You don't find betrayal as a necessary part of the prophecy. All of that could have taken place without Judas. The Romans could have moved without Judas. The high priest could have moved without Judas. So we can't put that all on him. But there's more. God absolutely does foreordain a lot of things. But the scripture does not say in any place that he ordains all things for all people in all times. Did God's mighty plan decide that we would have the story of Judas today? We have no indication that that's true. I have people come up to me and they'll say, I want to know God's plan for my life. And I've, I used to look at him and I said, really? Why? Because you already know some things that He wants you to do, like love your enemies and don't store up treasures on earth. How are you doing with those? And nobody's doing good with those. So I was saying, you want more? You want more st- You want more of the shame? You want more of the guilt? Is that what you're helping? You know, it- I've quit doing that because I found it's not helpful. Instead, and it might even be hurtful, instead, I look at them and I say, it's very simple be available. That's God's plan for you. Be available. He might need you today. I think most of us are not on God's plan A, are we? I know, I look back over my life, I'm probably on plan triple L subsection Z. Because so many days I was not available for God. Or I failed in my duty to God. Or I didn't even notice I had a duty until afterwards. You're going, oh, I should have said. I should have done. But God doesn't have a plan for us. He always has a plan regardless of what's going on. He deals with what's here. That's why he says, come, let us reason together. That's why he talks to us about, he told Moses, if you ask for this, then that. If you say this, then I'll do that. In Jeremiah, he said, I didn't even know those people were thinking about doing that, but since they did that, let's try this. In other words, God's plan moves, it changes. He gives us wide authority and latitude to either accept Him or reject Him. God does not absolutely determine the movement of every atom in the universe. R.C. Sproul, super famous theologian very very um him, he's had an impact on every aspect of modern christianity said famously that if there is one atom anywhere in the universe which is not under the direct control and foreknowledge of god then all faith falls and no no do you understand what you have just done Calvinism is what that doctrine is. Calvinism is sometimes called predestinationism or foreordination. And you can find the words predestined and foreordained in the scripture. But if you look at what they talk about, it says that God decided before you were born, he would love you. Well, that's different than what R.C. Sproul was saying. Because if Sproul and John Calvin, who, by the way, Calvinism flooded Scotland, became the national religion of Scotland through the work of John Knox, and destroyed Christianity. Because if everything's foreordained, why are we trying? Why should we even try? If, if God's decided before I'm born that I'm going to go to heaven or hell, then it's not up to me, is it? Why would I try? This, by the way, Walter Scott, one of the founders of the Churches of Christ, uh, that's why he left Presbyterianism. is because they, they told him, well, if God wants you, you'll have a big experience and he'll tell you. And he prayed for years to get the experience, didn't get it. And he began looking, saying, wait a second. That would mean that God created the vast majority of people on the planet to suffer for eternity. What is It kills faith. But I got to tell you, it does something worse. What's worse than killing faith? It insults the character of God. Listen to me very carefully. If God foreordained everything which has happened and will happen, that means he planned all rapes, all murders, all divorces, all domestic violence, all of this. Are you really going to work with me on that one? And you might say, no, that's not what... All of those start with atoms moving and forming neurochemical packets firing across synapses. If you're saying that all atoms are under his direct control, then you are blaming God for every evil which has ever been done. And if you think that's an overstatement, I have met in my life so many atheists who that made them atheist. But people grab onto it because it makes them feel a control. That things aren't going high wire. That God's got it. And so a drunk driver will hop up on the sidewalk. And run over a little girl. And people will surround the, the parents at the funeral. And say we, under, we know it's rough. But we know God has a plan. God doesn't make plans for people to get drunk and kill children. That's something a drunk chose. God plans to love you. And work with you. And is in as infuriating as it is at times, to also love and work with the drunk. He's not giving up on anybody. We do. He does not. We need to understand something. We're responsible. Why would, why would Jesus say that on the day of judgment we would have to give account of ourselves to God if, it, if we didn't have any say in the account? But we do. Reformed theology is what it's generally called now. They generally don't call it Calvinism. And there are variations and degrees, and that needs to be said. It's rather like, um, I'm not a pacifist, but there are all sorts of things that I would agree with pacifists on. And pacifism in and of itself has many different degrees. So Calvinist, predestination, reformed theology, all of these have different levels. But whenever you say that God planned this, you had better be very careful. Here's this thing. Do you defend your doctrine at the cost of tearing down God's reputation? People do that with inerrancy. Uh, whenever the Bible says, go in there and kill the babies, they'll say, well, that's what you know, God wanted. Are you going to push inerrancy to the point where God becomes a hateful, genocidal despot? Or are you going to elevate the character of God and then adjust your theology accordingly? I think sometimes we're looking through the wrong end of the microscope. I think sometimes we need to think again. So if God didn't force Judas to turn against Jesus, the question is, how could he? That one hit me when I was a boy. Because Judas had a front row seat to the miracles and to the kindness and to the love. And I think that was part of the problem. As a sicari, um, he wants l- kindness, love, and miracles for some people. But Jesus healed the Roman Centurion's child. Jesus healed Samaritans. Jesus did not get with the program. judas, um Judas Iscariot, actually had a very famous name, Judas. It was a very popular name. One of the reasons it was very popular was because parents named their kids Judas after the national hero, Judas Maccabeus, or the hammer, who had waged war, a bloody guerrilla war, slaughtering the Roman overrulers and freeing Jerusalem for a time. You can read about him in the apocryphal book, First Maccabees. Much more historical than 2nd Macribees. You can also read about that in, um, in the works of Josephus. Those are uh, available free online. Uh, he's been dead 2,000 years. Copyright's done. I will, I will uh, alert you that Josephus sometimes shades his words for his Roman masters. And other times will never use one word when 400 will do. So he's wordy. But there, and when I call somebody wordy, they're wordy. So, how could he turn? Jesus loved the wrong people and wasn't getting with the program. He wasn't the Messiah Judas wanted. Some believe that he turned because of the money. It is true. In Matthew, he accepts 30 pieces of silver. So, was that it? And yeah, money is uh, the motive for an awful lot of murders money, sex, and power. And secrets are probably the four four that cover almost all. We know he held the money. We know that he was misusing the money. But again, I would say that's not the root of that river. How did he get to the point where it was okay for him to misuse the money? I believe it was okay for him because he'd given up on Jesus. Jesus was not going to be the Jesus that Judas wanted. And so on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, seeing it coming, let, even let those closest to him know about it, the man that I give the sop. And sop, there's, in, in the English language, there's no way to make sop sound yum. But in Middle Eastern societies to this very day, you are very connected to your food. And you don't use forks and knives. Although they have them, they know how to use them. They're not uncivilized. The general thing to do is to wash your hands and then to tear bread and use bread as scoop or you wrap the food and you you are connected to your food and for some people that's an actually a a rather profound thing jesus even fed his enemy i thought about you're talking about the table of my enemies couple things about that phrase i may have to do a couple monday morning messages on that uh whenever you feed people you are showing you love them you protect them you are one with them and jesus is feeding us at that table in front of our enemies but we also need to know something he set that table for them too judas didn't like the second part judas did not believe he was betraying the son of god he believed he was betraying a disappointment that needed to be moved off the table later He would be torn apart because he had betrayed innocent blood. You notice he didn't say, I betrayed the Son of God. Because he had lost his faith. The zealots would have been very upset with Jesus. In fact, they had options. Philip Jenkins in his amazing book, The Crucible of Faith. Works with what we would call the intertestamental period. Between the end of the Old Testament, and the the beginning of the New. And in that 400-year period, people were not silent, neither was God. But people were working and writing and coming up with new theological ideas and political ideas, and a whole lot of messiahs had risen saying, I am the chosen one. God has called me. And they lead them, they grab a sword, and they go after the Romans or the Greeks or whoever they're going for at that time. And one after another die. In fact, the gospels mention some of these. They talk about Thutis and others who led rebellions and took them out to the desert and they died. Well, the zealots were still wanting that. Do you remember even after his resurrection, his apostles come up to Jesus and say, Is it now that we ride into Jerusalem? They were still wanting that. And people still do today. You can go find many books on the book of Revelation that say it's all about us and we get to be a part of that massive war against the sinners in Armageddon. Jehovah's Witnesses roll this tape constantly. But so do a lot of Protestants. Catholics have been free of that particular myth. Uh, they, they escaped that one. But this whole idea of, oh, it's, it's a time, it's a time now. Judas was disappointed with Jesus. And I want to ask, are we? Are we disappointed? The Jehovah's Witnesses even have a thing that they capitalize called the Great Disappointment. Although they're scrubbing it from their history now. I cannot help but notice. From their websites and the like. Because they pushed for 80 years that Jesus was coming back. He was coming back. And they pushed before World War I. We didn't know World War I was coming And then after, and then around World War II, they pushed, pushed. And then they said, all right, it's in the 1970s. We all agree. It's absolute. He's coming. And then he didn't. They lost about a third of their membership worldwide. They have rebounded quite a bit. Because if you scrub your history, you can start over. Um, By the way, interesting. Australia, the 60 Minutes in Australia. Look them up on YouTube. 60 Minutes Australia, Jehovah's Witnesses. They blast them over this um i don't know why others haven't even brought this up but but they do but they're not the only ones Seventh-day Adventists got very disappointed in Jesus because back in the late 1800s they even sold their homes cuz he's coming back and they climbed up on top of stuff so that they could be the first to see him it didn't happen i can remember 1988 was going to 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988 do you remember that one yeah then there was another really big one. Just about, what, 15, 16 years ago, we were up in Michigan, and every, people were just, it's now, all the ministers say, it's now. Then the day came. I, Cammie won't let me have fun. I'm just I'm putting it out there. I wanted to put some clothes out in my front yard and pack them with dry ice, so they would... You know, And then call my neighbors and say, dude, where are you? I still have service. (laughs) I wasn't allowed. Um, Something about being nice, loving. My point is, even to the point of last presidential election, there were churches gathered and yelled about the prophecy of God and the election didn't go the way they said. And to this day, I see those videos and I hear about this in atheist magazines as they chortle that the prophets always get it wrong why bring god's reputation into disrepute because of your pet doctrine drop the doctrine grab god what would have happened if judas had taken jesus aside and just asked questions Argued about the plan. Kept engaging Jesus. I don't think the betrayal would have happened at all. And I think Jesus would have welcomed the arguments. Some of us insist that God run the universe the way we want it run. As, um, as somebody said, and I really was not able to trace this. And I'm, I'm, I will, because it shouldn't be that hard. Somebody once said, all of us want to serve Jesus. But we just want to serve him in an advisory capacity. Well... What if he doesn't follow your wishes? You're going to walk away? Judas, of course, didn't just walk away. He decided to burn the house down as he left. So I'm not painting him as a victim. He chose his politics over his God. He chose his disappointment. And when he walked away, he didn't just ease out. He decided to destroy the thing. He might have thought that he was doing the right thing. But he certainly, even if it was the right thing, he did it in a terribly wrong way. But we should have known. Matthew 21, Luke 12. I'm sorry. Mark 12, Luke 20. The same parable. It is weird. It is bizarre. It is nonsensical. But they tell it three times. I think God's trying to get our attention. That is this. A man owns a field. He doesn't farm it. He rents it out. Sharecropping. Your husbandry is its done. And so they, they work the field and this man gets a percentage of the profits. It's the way that is done. It's the way it's been done through history. It is still done. Well, time comes to collect. So he sends his servant to collect his part. And they kill the servant thinking, "Well, will just kill him. Well, we won't have to pay. Well, I don't know in what universe that makes sense, but I've not been there. So they send another one. The man sends another one. They kill him. So the man says, I'll send my son. They will not dare kill him. They see the son coming and go, Oh, if we kill the son, then we'll inherit the land. That, what? Excuse me? Did not anybody stop for a minute and go, Um, issue? A couple of things you might not have looked at. It's not how inheritance works, it's not how law works or land works. Other than that, it's a brilliant plan. There's very good evidence in scripture that the high priest that handed Jesus over to the Romans believed he was the Messiah. But they believed that if he was killed, God would have to love him because they're the chosen. Do you remember he was asked during the trial, are you the son of God? And Jesus looked at the high priest and said, it's what you've said. And that's when he was struck by the guard Jesus knew they knew but they really thought God will forgive us oh we'll go through another captivity for a hundred years whatever but God will forgive us no no you cannot force the hand of God to give you the Jesus you want go ahead and wrestle him though he likes that in fact the word Israel that he named his people means those who wrestle with God As a dad, I'm going to tell you something. I'd much rather have a kid wrestle with me and argue with me than go silent and leave me. And it's what Judas did. Don't walk away. Never disengage. Those of you wondering, how many more pages has this guy got? You know, there's a little button on there that you can make me go one and a half times. or It makes me even more Mickey Mouses, I have to warn you. But... um we'll wrap it up here the end of Judas was first regret and then death and early Christians taught in fact that the betrayal was not the greatest sin but that the suicide was because betrayal can be forgiven but suicide cannot be and I I totally reject that and I may have to come back and do a story on why or just do a few Monday morning messages suicide is not an unforgivable sin there are many reasons I have for this and we can share those But I would disagree. It was the betrayal. It was the walking away. It was the refusal to engage with the God you have. Because he's not the God you want. That was the fatal issue. By the way, yes, I know. Matthew says that Judas hung himself in the book of Acts. Luke says that he fell and his body burst open. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details here. Because there are little ears sitting in in rooms around the world. I'm just going to say both of these things happen at hangings hanging is a lot more difficult than you might think to get right Uh, even Saddam Hussein they got it wrong they hung him and his body fell and burst so also even if it didn't happen that way the Jews would not touch a body because they were going into their holiday time their holy times so the body would have hung up there for a while if you get my drift. so moving on here's the point though both Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus. And the rest ran away. Some people say, no, John did and John stayed by the cross. He got there eventually. During the trial, he ran away. But both of them, both betrayed. The difference was Peter came back. Peter was there when Jesus was resurrected. He was still Peter, impulsive, too quick to speak, too slow to think sometimes. But he stayed there. He stayed close to Jesus. He didn't quit. It makes me think of Joseph when he wrestled God. Do you remember that? Down by the river Jabbok? That's when God changed his name to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. God said, all right, you can stop now. And Joseph goes, no. I said, Joseph, Jacob. Jacob said, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I love that line. God saying, I want to do something. I get. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm not done wrestling. And God did bless him, but he limped the rest of his life. I think that was a, I thought that was an interesting trade. We face the same choice, people. We can walk away. We can turn it off. We can betray. We, we can turn against and throw rocks. And, or we can stay the course even when we disagree with the way God's doing things. When I was a kid... We often sang an old song. Don't worry, I'm not leading up to that song, but do worry, I'm leading up to another one. As we close this part, and Ray Smith will lead us in our closing prayer after our song. And I'm going to need your help on the song. I've never let it before. I always just play them. I'm going to switch over here. Dave told me to quit saying that. He wanted to see if he could catch me. So sorry, ignore what I just said. We sang a song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's a good song. I sang it with gusto. I had no idea how hard that was going to be. But it's worth the struggle. I cannot help but echo what Peter said, Lord, if we leave you, to whom will we go? I've told my wife all the difficulties I've had struggling with God, struggling with faith, and yeah, by the way, this preacher lets you know, <laughs> not going to hide it. All of them. I've told my wife, I feel like Mrs. Noah because there are times that I will, <clears throat> I'll see. I've really had it. <laughs> Think of Mrs. Noah now. I've had it with the ark. I've had it with the animals. I've had it with the sea. I've had it with the sticky walls because of pitch. I'm I'm leaving. Where are you going to go? And there are times when I'm angry at God or I wonder why? Why did you do it this way, God? Or why didn't you act? And I remember I'm Mrs. Noah. As long as I wrestle with him, I'm in contact with him. Stay the course. You don't walk away.